0: Third of the time, it should be this white-knuckle terror. Welcome, everybody, to this episode of the EM Over Easy podcast. All four of us are here, Drew, Tanner, John, and myself. So today's episode comes from something that I was perusing through some videos, and I came across this interview with an Olympic runner, and it was an interviewer asking her how she felt before the Olympics. And she talked about how She actually felt pretty terrible before she went to this Olympic Games. And she was talking about the London Olympics and how she had not had a good month up to the the Olympics and really came down to she had like a bad week right before the Olympics started. And they said, well, how did you get through this? And she said she was talking to her coach, who's another longtime Olympic runner. And he explained that it was actually completely fine with him that she had had a bad week before the Olympics and that, you know, it's okay to go through a rough patch. And he used a phrase that really kind of caught my eye and said when she was explaining to her his view on how training happens and how elite athletes perform was that when you look at your life and look at your performance, really it comes down to this rule of thirds where one third of the time that you're training, you should be in your comfort zone. One third of the time you're training, you should be in a stretch. And a third of the time, it should be this white knuckle terror. And that really kind of hit home with me when I heard it, because if you didn't know, healthcare has been a rough place to work the last few years. And it also made me Google this idea of rules of thirds, and then realize there's more than one rule of thirds, and we'll kind of talk about the other ones. When you think the rule of thirds and hear this first one, what are your thoughts?
1: I like that this comes from a runner, because that's actually how when I used to run races competitively, that this would be how I'd race, whether it's a 800 meter run, whether it's a marathon, half marathon, kind of break things up into thirds. And that when you're running a race, and it's true in a lot of things in life too, that you have to be uncomfortable, but you also have to be comfortable, right? So you kind of find uh, when you're thinking about running a race, you know, the start of it, you might feel okay, right? Like you're pushing your threshold, but but you're within your zone and then you got to settle in and you feel good for a while. But then at some point you're going to feel crappy and crappy comes in one of two ways. Either you are going to kick to the finish and put every last bit of energy out there to run your race or... Sometimes the wheels come off and you feel really, really crappy and you got to figure out a way to get it back on. But I would say that almost every race I've ever run, whether it's short, long, or in between the rule of thirds, totally apply and probably applies to most of my life too. Except when I'm with you guys, cause then it's all good.
2: Yeah. I liked it. The white knuckle terror part kind of threw me off. Cause I feel like that's like an extreme that is, I don't want a third of my life to be white knuckle terror, but I do feel like if you kind of adjust that slightly to just very much outside my comfort zone, doing something new. Like that's such a nice way to approach life in general. Like being in my comfort zone is great. It's fun to do the workouts I like or the activities I like, fly fishing, things like that. But it's also really nice to stretch myself and learn new things and try new hobbies like woodworking or something like that. And then every once in a while, when one of my neighbor friends or something like that says, hey, do you want to go do this? And I'm very uncomfortable with that idea. Um it's good to say yes every so often and go and do that i had never been wake surfing before and one of my friends he invited me to go boating to go wake surfing and honestly i'm not a super strong swimmer and it made me very nervous to go and do something like that and it was fantastic it was really fun it was nerve-wracking to start not quite white knuckle tear but it was very much stretching me
3: and um- you know, just to add to Tanner's dread, I mean, sometimes you have to bribe him with a roller coaster and a dinosaur at the same time. Yes. So that you can get one with the other. So you get the white knuckle terror mixed with the third of the stuff that he loves and it dilutes it you, just you enough. You read my mind uh, to make it work. Yeah, it's true. I was in tune. What I will say is so for me, when you first set the idea, Andy, the first thing I actually thought of was the rule of thirds in photography, which you had kind of referenced that there are a lot of rules. Of th- and I think Tanner had also thought of the same thing. And then the the second one was, I actually just kind of, I don't know if my brain processed it wrong or I heard what I wanted to hear. But I recently been working on this idea or reading about the idea about tackling your day. And you, you basically start off every day with three things that you want to accomplish, right? And you put all your energy there. When those three things are done, the days will win, no matter how much other stuff you get or don't get done. That's kind of how it starts. But I really I do like this concept for about 80% of the time, or maybe I should say like two thirds of the time, but I'll dig into more of that later. Why I don't always
0: love it. So I love you guys bring up the different facets of which we can apply this rule. When To me, when I heard it and it hit me, it was actually after a string of not so great days at work and a not so great day at work is we walk into work and nothing's really working, right? So you're short staffed, there's no beds in the hospital, you're operating outside of the normal, you know, big thing is you're doing procedures in the hallway or you're taking care of patients in the waiting room, which is not just where I work. It's a national thing right now. i um, say
1: that, that sounds like every day I show up to work, my friend.
0: Yeah. I was going to say so,
1: what's out of the normal
0: about
1: that. That that is that is now standard <laughs> operating procedure.
0: It's unfortunately the new normal, but when early on in this, I was like, man, this, this thing is it's not good. And then you had a couple of complicated conversations with consultants or a patient that really kind of popped up with a disease that I remember reading about in medical school but had never seen. And but I came across this when all that was going on and, and it really hit home to me this idea that, but then if I plot it out, let's say the last three months or the last 30 shifts that I've worked. A third of those were shifts where I was very comfortable. You know, all all those things were going on, but nothing really like got me out too much of a groove and I was able to bounce back. And a third of those where I had to stretch where I was doing procedures on patients that, you know, I I knew how to do, but not ones that that I did a ton. And then a third of those were I was operating kind of on the extremes of my medical knowledge and on the extremes of where I felt safe, but everything ended up okay. So you weren't
1: doing procedural sedation for disimpactions. Is that what you're saying? Your favorite procedure? (laughs) Because I know you're super comfortable with that one.
0: Yeah, that's right. I am super comfortable with that one. But it it really kind of just like gave me that aha moment of if I put the last week in totality, everything's going to be fine because I'm in that phase to where there are some white knuckle phases of of our clinical career. There's some stretching parts of our clinical career. There's comfort. And you have to have the white knuckle on the stretch. That way, when the new normal is now seeing people in the waiting room and seeing people in the hallway, that can become the new normal because you've allowed yourself to stretch and you've allowed yourself to lean into those white knuckle days and grow to where I'm a different person than I was, say, 90 days ago when that was not the normal and would be considered terrible if that's what I did. And so that's where it hit home for me. And then, of course, there's the other rule of threes that John brought up, the photography one. But the second one that hit home when I looked it up was really this idea of how we spend our time. And it's this idea of who you spend your time with, I mean, it's spending time with people who know more than me, those who share a similar mindset, and then a third of my time mentoring others. And that kind of harkens back to some of our other conversations. But when you think of how we spend our time rule of thirds, what do you think about that one? I mean, I spend 100% of
1: my time with somebody who knows more than
2: me. I was going to say, I think this one's a little more difficult to like truly divide into thirds, because some of those people are going to be just spontaneous and happen naturally. And I mean, you can seek out mentors and you can seek out people who know more than you and, and similar mindsets, but some of it just also has to be natural, organic growth. I think maybe the better thing is to just reflect on who you're spending a lot of time with. And if you see opportunities to find that stretch or find that mentoring place that you can go to, that may be the one to, to look at. But I don't know. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. I never have thought of it this way before. That's for sure.
3: Yeah, it's definitely a different take on it. And I guess my thought on it is, it also depends on what of those phases you're in in your life, right? So if you're trying to grow in a specific area, I think you may weight things differently. I think this idea of the thirds, quite honestly, is more about the unspoken rule of what we all are trying to do, which is achieve balance in all things, right? So if you spend a week away working because you're a firefighter then you have to spend a week at home to balance that and then you have to spend a week with your non-home friends and co-workers and colleagues and your own hobbies in your own space and, and I think that's kind of maybe more along the lines of what this rule of thirds is hitting at is just don't don't put everything all in one basket And for me great example this is when you first said it the first thing that resonated with me was really like man i don't really spend a third of my time counseling like junior residents and stuff right like i spend a lot of my time uh, a big chunk of my time and that's by design and i really enjoy it but what i also think about is there does need to be some balance right like i can't be the best mentor. If I don't go to conferences and learn new things myself and do things outside of just mentoring all the time, you have to de- develop yourself as well. So that's kind of how I like the rule of third that you kind of mentioned there. I like that a little bit more. And that, you know, it's not about the numbers. It's about paying attention to all three. Yeah.
0: yeah One so
1: of the selection. things I like about that is maybe the opposite or flipping part of it is so spending a third of your time around people like-minded, but The important part of that is that I think spending time with people that are not like-minded. And I mean, whether you want to be micro or macro on that right now, we could use a lot more of spending time with people that think differently than us to have a better appreciation for what is going on, why there are different approaches, opinions, whether it is politically, whether it is something that is related to medicine, whether it's just a personal life type of thing. We've... We surround ourselves by people similar to us a lot of the time and and you forget to stretch and that there are other views, regardless of what they are. And you know, liken it to when a resident says, Hey, I really like or dislike working with you and John. And I go, Well, the reason we have faculty other faculty is because you need to experience all different aspects of how to approach emergency medicine. You know, I do things well. But there's things that I don't do as well. And there are things that you're going to get from other faculty that you will never get from me and vice versa. And if you don't surround yourself by those people that stretch you, whether you like that stretch or not, then you set yourself up in a state of no growth and a state of no understanding. And I think that's something that is so important in this rule of thirds, no matter how you apply it, is setting yourself up to be understanding of others. You don't have to agree with others. You don't have to think like others, but you have to understand fundamentally why others think the way they do.
0: Hey, everybody. It's Andy Little here, one of the hosts of EM over easy. If there was an ultrasound cover or scanning pad that could help make ultrasound guided procedures safer, easier, and more convenient, both for you and your patients, don't you think you'd be interested? Now, remember, inserting an intravenous device is one of the most frequently performed invasive patient interventions in the emergency department. But despite their frequency, establishing an IV can still be challenging, particularly in patients with difficult-to-achieve IV access. Failed insertion attempts can cause pain to the patient and increase infection rates. They can also be expensive for the hospital, as each attempt requires additional time and procedures. Our friends over at Civco have come up with Envision ultrasound covers and scanning pads that are 100% gel-free, and are designed to help you insert IV devices without the use of ultrasound gel, saving you time and helping you to reduce the risk of patient contamination. Envision uses silicone adhesive that attaches easily to any transducer. Then instead of gel, you activate the probe with the use of sterile saline. When you're done with the procedure, you simply peel the cover off the ultrasound probe and send it to the high-level disinfection per your facility's policies. We invite you to request a free sample of Envision and try it out for yourself today. Just visit civco.com slash gelfree. That's C-I-V-C-O dot G-E-L-F-R-E-E today. Yeah. And
2: you can see that on social media algorithms, real easy. If you start liking and clicking on the same thought-minded people, you're going to create an echo chamber that only shows those views or ideas, or you could, you could actually experiment with this by just choosing what you're liking on Twitter for a week, being specifically dinosaur-related paleo art. And you could go down that whole role. And then all of a sudden, you're going to realize that your Twitter is showing you 95. 95% paleo art and paleo artists. And you're going to get all fired up about the people who are copying other people and the AI generated paleo art isn't as good as the, you know, and you're going to get down this rabbit hole and all of a sudden you're going to be this paleo art overload. And then you could take a step back and all of a sudden start liking other things and you could change the Twitter algorithm. And maybe that's an easy way to visualize it for people if they're having difficulty gathering what their echo chambers are.
1: Not that you yep. ever done that, right, Tanner? Like you, have never gone down no, the hallway. T- <laughs> it, it, it felt,
0: it felt very, very real, personal, very personal, yeah, very specific, was. very real. Yeah, hundred percent. It
3: was, yeah. But no, John, was- I love that
0: you bring up the idea of the growth part of this because I, when I first heard it, it was, oh, I need to be around people who are smarter than me. But it, there does come a point where you can be an expert who was an expert in what was up to date five years ago. But if you're not personally developing yourself, eventually you're not going to be an expert anymore. And this is why CME exists, and it's why you know, all these other academies and, and workshops exist because people want to learn. And if you're not spending a decent amount of your time learning, eventually you're going to have nothing to share. Is that?
1: Well, I, yeah. it's not learning. And, it's
0: growing, right? I guess it's, that's true. Yeah.
1: true. Because learning is part of it, but it, yeah. it's just, it's putting yourself in a situation where you're growing yourself, whether it is in a better understanding of something in, in medicine, whether it is training for athletic endeavors, whether it is something in your social life. Put yourself in a situation where you're stretching to cause yourself to grow because otherwise you're complacent. Yeah.
3: Yeah. But beyond growth, it's also about the fact that you can just embrace the different way to do things. This, when you guys were talking about this, this scenario that happened recently, popped into my head. I was doing follow up, I had back to back shifts and was looking at a chart that I hadn't completed because I had kind of wanted to keep it in my end basket so I could follow up the next day. And it was a patient that I had arranged transfer for. And then when I opened up their chart, it showed that they had been discharged. They were pretty sick. And so I was reading through the chart and I was kind of, as I was reading, apparently, well, actually, I don't even say apparently, I know I have this face that looks like I'm very displeased when it's actually just my, I'm trying to figure this out face. Mm -hmm. But if you don't know that, then the assumption is that I'm really mad about something and the resident was paying attention to what I was doing. And I said something like, man, didn't see that going that way. And they asked me about it. And I said something to the effect of that's not how I would have done that. And it led to a really great conversation because they initially thought that meant I was criticizing my partner for what they did. And, When I realized that, I was like, no, no, it just means I would not have done that. I completely trust my partner to do the right thing. I wasn't there. So I believe everybody wakes up every day trying to do the very best thing they can for their patients, right? So I trust my partner to do the right thing. And what I was getting at was there are a lot of ways to do this job. But just because I wouldn't have done it that way doesn't mean it was bad or good. And it it turns out that coincidentally, that partner was there later that night. And actually came over and said, hey, you guys did such a great job at resuscitation. By the time they finally got ready to be transferred, they were stable for discharge. and They wanted to go home really badly. And so we discharged them. And what was really great was the fact that the resident got to see that, like it wasn't prepped or planned. It was just that same communication. And it's interesting because, you know, that, that wasn't so much growth as it was just what Drew was talking about, kind of this acknowledgement of the other, right? This embracing of everything doesn't have to be my way for the world to be just as it should
0: be. No, John, I love that. That's a great story. And I've, I have found myself, I think, if you work with residents, you find yourself in those scenarios where it's easy for the residents to interpret like, oh, was that the wrong thing to do? No, it's just not what I would have done. and it, But you have to kind of explain yourself to make sure they don't think less of the other person or or, or vice versa. So no, that's cool. The, the last there's the last real thirds we have not mentioned is how we divide our time at work. And again, it's similar veins where one third of your job you should easily be able to do with your prior experience and talents. One third of the job should be something that is close to what you have experience in, but will require some effort to master. And then a third of your job or a portion of your job should be completely new to you. And this is one that kind of spoke speaks to me a little bit from the idea that I love doing new things at work, and but at the same time, I don't like doing things that I'm not very good at. And so it's this balance of that you need to find some time to do things that are outside of your normal talents and skill set. That way you can continue to grow.
3: I'll hop on this one just only because this is the one where I disagree with this philosophy a little bit. And I'm going to tie it back actually to the photography principle. So real quick, the rule of thirds for photography, right, is... Everything is divided into thirds vertically and horizontally. And really interesting pictures come about when you as a photographer move the photograph off the subject being in the center. So you move the person looking off in the distance off to one side, and then you can see the sweeping vista that they're now looking at. And it makes the photograph much more interesting. What I will say, though, is sometimes you don't want the, the photo to be interesting. You want the photo to be informative. Or you want the photo to be educational, in which case maybe you really do want to focus in on the subject. And I feel like at work, that concept of the rule of thirds, again, if you look at it in terms of balance, I think it's probably pretty fair. But I feel like a third of my time should be doing stuff that I feel comfortable with. I feel like if I'm good at what I do, most of the time I should be comfortable with it. But what I should be is also excited and looking for new opportunities to get better. And so I think the ratio of that third is off. I think that might be a great ratio when you're just starting a career, Mm -hmm. when you're new into something. But I just feel like when you're further along in a career, like when I look at my nursing colleagues and how brilliant the nurses that have been there are for 15, 20, 30 years and so good at what they do, man, they know their job. Super well and spend ninety five percent just hanging in the zone, but they get those little bursts of energy from those new things, so I just feel like there the concept is right, but the third spacing is wrong, and I could be totally wrong about this that's okay i'm wrong a third of the time anyway
2: no, I think that that actually kind of fits into what I was going to kind of go into, which is when when you said divide your time at work," those were not the three things I thought of, and it wasn't so much like things that I'm comfortable with, things that I'm stretching, and then things that are like crazy new. It was more of, okay, clinical hours is one of my third of something extracurricular within my group is another third of the time. And then, you know, some form of like CME extracurricular thing outside of the group is my other third of the time or something like that. Right. And it kind of screams to me like, okay, if you are doing your clinical shifts, but you're not doing any sort of like Hospital administration or leadership within your group, or some sort of thing that you can contribute to your local department. That's not related to just clinical hours. Like that's an easy spot to add a little bit of something new, but also still add value to your group and and help you grow and become better as a clinician there. And then same thing with finding things outside the bubble of your department, such as EM over easy or going to conferences or things like that, where you're now interacting with people who are at different sites that are doing the same job but differently and that's how you expand and grow from that stance. So that was kind of my take on that divide your time at work type of thirds.
1: I agree. I think the longer you do a job, you know, the the more comfortable you're going to be at a lot of different things, but the beauty of emergency medicine and I think the beauty of us being academic minded whether you're in academics or not is that you realize there's always somewhere to go. But then what comes through your door, there's always going to be something that throws a curveball at you that's going to put you into a layer of discomfort that is going to push you. And whether in that moment or not you're growing yourself, or whether it is, hey, that was really uncomfortable. I need to figure out other ways to handle this. You know, that's going to drive you forward. Stand up on literature, right? Reading what is the new practice patterns and and being willing to change your practice has to be some, I mean, I, I, thirds, I don't know, you know, I mean, yeah. an eighth, a quarter, a fifth, a a half, but, but you have to goes back to, I think, don't be complacent.
0: Yeah. And I think the more we talk about this, the less and less I'm inclined to, it has to be thirds in terms of times, but there needs to be three ways in which you view your work, That I have to be comfortable where I work. I have to do some things that make me stretch and I have to do some things that are new and you decide how that time actually gets divided up. But there are three ways you have to approach life and your work and your personal time to where, again, you've got to be able to grow and you've got to be able to learn and and shift with the times. Because I mean, John's been doing this the longest, but I know that the emergency medicine that John graduated to in 2012 is not the emergency medicine we practice in 2023. And I imagine if we were to go back and say what we're doing now, we would scoff at the idea that how we would never do that. And that's not part of our job. You know, I'm going to leave the specialty if that's what we're doing in 2023. But now it's what we're doing because we've slowly gradually moved there because we stretched and we grew.
2: You remember like pre-COVID and like (laughs) remember when the heart score was new? Yeah. We were like... (laughs) And now we're going
1: to get get rid of the heart score, guys.
2: Yeah. Maybe splash. Like,
1: I'm telling you, the heart score is going to be sure decision-making at most and it is fading away. Mark my words.
2: Next time you guys are on shift and you're going through one of your, like we all have these like spiels that we give patients when it's like one of those things, bread and butter regurgitate. Here's the speech of here's what your disease is. Here's what we've done. Here's what you need to do, blah, blah, blah. Find one and realize that you say you quote a study and then actually look up that study and see how long ago that study was done. Oh my gosh. (laughs)
0: I like, did this the other day. <laughs> it's it makes so
2: terrible. Me feel so old, even if it's like a super simple study about like cough, yeah. uh, over-the-counter cough medication comparisons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> you're like, oh yeah, it was like four or five years ago. No, that's actually ten to twelve years ago now.
0: Yeah, yeah, you're like 2011 was not four or five years ago. So, look good. Well, I think as always, we've we've opened a can of worms. We have not come up with a, a solution other than. I think we can all agree of the three phases that you need to kind of take from all three of these rules. Please go to the show notes, look at the literature behind each one of the ones we talked about. And as always, we appreciate you guys tuning in for this episode. And don't forget, we are the official podcast of the American College of Osteopathic Emergency Physicians. To learn more about this organization, head on over to acoap.org today, where you can learn more about a CME event that you might want to go to, where you can see our four shining faces on a live stage for another EM over Easy Live show. Also, don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram and to follow us on our blog site, bmovereasy.com.